Good morning. If you have a Bible, would you open it to Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14? Exodus 14, 13, 14. I want to welcome those who are joining us online as well. Um, this week, you should be receiving a postcard inviting you to our Easter service in two weeks. But just uh, as a reminder, we have three services, 8, 9, 30, and 11. So it's a change uh, from, from normal. So if you get here at your normal time, you'll just have to wait longer for the service to start. So if you, if you come normal time, that's great, but uh, just be prepared to wait. So 8, 9, 30, 11, great Sunday to invite a friend uh, to church is, is on Easter. If you don't receive one of these, you said, well, Pastor Andy said we get one of these, we don't. It could be because you're not on our mailing list. So if you're not on a mailing list, just take that connection card and write down your, uh, your address and other information and we'll get, you, we'll get you plugged in our mailing list. Another exciting piece of information as a bigger postcard is going out to the Kindred area because we're launching our Kindred campus on Easter Sunday on April 4th at 10 a.m. in the elementary school. So uh, that's pretty exciting. Isn't that exciting? I feel like that's a slow clap. Yeah. Isn't that exciting? All right. There we go. All right. We've been talking about the eternally focused life, and it's this idea of asking the question, how do we live in the here and now, but not for the here and now? We've talked about all kinds of things. We've talked about what's it like uh, to have shattered dreams? How do we deal with the pain in this life? Uh, how do we live for an audience of one? We've talked about treasures, having focus in this life. We talked about the illusion of control, thinking that we're in control, selfishness, clinging to this world, all kinds of things. Right after Easter, I'm going to start a new series called What Are You Afraid Of? And we're going to look at um, several different fears. The fear of defeat, the fear of disapproval, the fear of diversion, meaning that um, uh, your, your plan won't work out, fear of disappointing people, fear of danger, fear of disconnection, meaning the, the fear of being alone. But today, in anticipation of what are you afraid of, that new series, I want us to journey to the intersect of where faith and fear, and I want us to take a closer look at what life would be like if fear is greater than our faith, or if you flip it around and faith is greater than our fear. What is it that makes something seem so big and it sends us into this whirlwind of worry and anxiousness and feeling out of control? Well, that something is fear. We've all heard fear is an emotional response to something that is either real or perceived. We've probably, everyone, everybody's probably heard that. But at times, we all struggle with it. We all cower behind it. We're, we're gripped with it. it. We allow it to control us at times. It consumes us at every level. It makes us physically sick. And even it will take us down paths of making unhealthy choices. Psychologists tell us that when we're born, we're born with two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of noise. But everyone knows that there's all kinds of fears beyond that. There was a psychology class, and their, their assignment was to go out and ask 500 people what their fears are. They came back with 7,000 fears. Um, things like heights and spiders and death and snakes and dark and clowns and roller coasters, even cotton balls. People are afraid of cotton balls. But people are also fearful of uncomfortable conversations or confronting someone who has offended you, or taking a stand for what is right, or speaking up, or advocating for those who can't, or defending biblical truth. One of my fears is that considering the, the moral 
trajectory that we are on is that the only thing left is a fear of mine that won't offend us is sin. Judging by the culture that we're in right now. Let's talk about when our fear is greater than our faith. Exodus 3, you don't need to turn there. I just want to catch you up as we make our way to Exodus 14. But God got the attention of Moses. You saw this in the video through a burning bush. And when Moses got close enough, God said, hold on, Moses, don't come any closer. This is holy ground. Just stay where you're at. And, and God went on to say to Moses, I, I've seen, I've witnessed, I've observed the misery of my people in Egypt. And I've heard their cries and I'm concerned about their suffering. And then he says to Moses, I've come down to rescue them. That's, this is my this is my goal. This is my plan. And at this point, Moses was tracking with everything that God was saying right up until when he said, now go, I'm sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. Um, a few weeks ago, we were on an airplane. That's probably been six, seven weeks ago now. And you know how your ears at times when you're, when you're landing, you can't get your ears to pop or you try everything, you blow, you yawn, you do all that. Well, ever since uh, we've re- returned home, I've had this ear thing, and I don't think it completely has to do with that. Um, now, some of you right now are like, eh, does he have COVID? He should go get checked out. Um, I had the test, and it's negative, so it's not COVID, but I just got this ear thing going on where I'm, I'm having a hard time uh, hearing. And so a couple weeks later, uh, we were praying with somebody, and on the way home, Lori says to me, do you know that you were yelling during your prayer? Because I, I couldn't hear myself. To which I replied, I wasn't selling anything. <laughs> it's easy to become hard of hearing when God is talking. Moses replied, what? Why me? Who am I that you would ask me to go? Moses was having a great day until the object of his fear was placed right in front of him, and the object of his fear was Pharaoh. And so fear kicked in, and Moses had every excuse in the book as to why his fear needed to be greater than his faith. He said to God, I'm not good enough. I don't have all the answers. Nobody believes in me. I'm a terrible communicator. And frankly, I'm not qualified for what you're asking me to do. In fact, his fear had such a grip on him, he said to God, in chapter 4, verse 13, this is what he said back to God. But Moses said, "Uh, God, pardon your servant, Lord. Would you please send someone else? That's what he said. Anybody but me. I'll just sit over here in my fear. I'm quite comfortable in my fear over here. It's familiar to me. Long story short, Moses went back and forth with God. We all know what it's like to do that with God at times, minimizing our faith and maximizing our fear. We've all been there, giving God every reason in the book as to why we can't. And that's exactly what fear says to us. You can't. And faith says, but God can Eventually, Moses saw it God's way, and he believed the Lord's word when, when, when the Lord said to him, Moses, I'm sending you, but I will go with you. And so Moses this started to sink in. He started receiving this. I will go with you. And then even when Moses says, well, say they ask who, who sent me, what am I supposed to say? Am I just supposed to go on my own? And, he, and God said to him, no, say the great I am sent you. And so all this was sinking in. And Moses kept insisting to God that he couldn't do it alone. 
And so God brought Aaron into the picture, and the two of them went to Pharaoh as the Lord had asked. And they said to Pharaoh, God wants us to tell you that you're to let his people go. And Pharaoh didn't take kindly to their words, and he gave them a hard no. There's no way that's happening. The first words out of Aaron and Moses' mouth, just before every plague, there was 10 of them, this is what they said. The Lord says, let my people go, and then here's the reason, this is the why, so they may worship me. And then there'd be a plague, and they'd come back, and they'd say, the Lord says, let my people go, so they may worship me. Let them go, so they may worship me. As I pondered Moses' fear and the implication of him not trusting God and allowing his fear to potentially win over his faith, it struck me. I want you to think about this for a second. Is it possible that my fear, your fear, could be a contributing factor to someone else's bondage? Could your fear be affecting somebody at that level? Is it possible that by me not trusting God when he says, I will be with you, that I'm allowing my lack of faith to impact somebody else's freedom? One of our elders uh, came in to my office a couple of weeks ago just to, just to chit-chat and catch up, and we were talking about life, and you know, when we got through that, we started talking about some ministry stuff, and we went further and further in ministry, and we talk, started talking about the future and just vision and that kind of things for the church here. And, um, and finally, uh, he said, he asked me the question that I always like to ask other people. And I, isn't that fun when people turn the table on you, you know? And, and uh, he said, so what are you afraid of? And my, my immediate response wanted to be, um, I'm not afraid of anything. Well, then why aren't you doing it? Like, what are you afraid of? And I had to literally stop and think, I'm afraid of something. Like, what is keeping me from doing that? What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of in your relationships? What are you afraid of in your marriage? What are you afraid of in something that maybe God's asking you to do? Let's talk about when faith is greater than fear. Verse 13 and 14, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see them again, and the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So verse 13 and 14 will teach us how to move towards this, this life of having greater faith than our fear. But before we unpack those couple of verses, I want to catch you up. In verses 1 through 4, God draws Pharaoh to come out against Israel. This is a fascinating story. God draws them out to come out against his people. And the Israelites had to set up camp just before the Red Sea. And Pharaoh uh, knew that the land was locked. They couldn't go anywhere. They had nowhere to go. Pharaoh will think to himself, the Israelites are wandering around in this land. They're confused. They're hemmed in by the desert. They're trapped. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. In a sense, God set up an ambush for Pharaoh. God wanted Pharaoh to catch wind of the Israelites kind of wandering around lost, acting confused. And think of this statement in, in the sense of your own life. God's plan seemed a little bit crazy, but his plan 
was about his own glory, not about people making sense of it. His plan in your life is about his glory. It's not always about you making sense of it. Verse 5 through 9, Pharaoh decides to bring the Israelites back. So in other words, Pharaoh's there. He lets them go after the ten plagues. As soon as he lets them go, he's like, what have I done? Let's go get them. Let's bring them back. We just let all of our servants walk out the door, in a sense, is what he was saying. He prepares not ten, not fifty, not a hundred, 600 choice chariots. And at the time, that was the, the top military response. All the Israelites had was boldness. That's all they had. In verse 10 through 12, the Israelites respond with fear. I mean, from their vantage point, this was it. They, like, they think, we're done. Pharaoh's army is closing in, and the Red Sea is keeping them from moving forward. Think of it like being trapped on a cul-de-sac. Get that image in your mind for a second. It's a, like a cul-de-sac. And then remember that they didn't, they didn't go there on their own. God led them out and put them on the cul-de-sac. What did they do? What did they do when they're in this cul-de-sac and they're looking around? They're like, well, the sea is in front of us, the desert's over here, and the Egyptians are coming after us. We are trapped. So what did they do in that moment? They cried out to the Lord. But immediately after that, they started blaming Moses. Like, why in the world would you bring us out here? It'd been better to be a servant than to come out in the desert and die. And then we come into verse 13 and 14. We're talking about moving to a position in life where faith is greater than fear. I'm going to give you three hows. How do we do that? How do we live where our faith in life is greater than our fear? The first one is to stand firm in what you know to be true. Verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. So as Moses was saying to the people, don't be afraid, who were now literally accusing him of of mass slaughter that's about to happen, he had no idea how God would handle this one. So he's on this cul-de-sac with all these people, and he's like, I I don't know how God's going to do this. What he did know was that God had called him to go and free the people, He did as God had asked him, and now he was in a very tough predicament. He rested not in what he could do and in his own strength and in his own wisdom. He didn't say to all the people, okay, fine, I've got an idea. I know what I'm going to do here. He rested in what only God could do. You ever have anything like that in your life? Sometimes our situation in life the purpose of it is to get us to the end of ourselves. Where there's only one option left. The sovereign God who causes and allows all things in life for his glory. It's interesting that we tend to trust in what our option is. So when, when, we, when we're in a predicament, we sit down and say, okay, what are all our options? And we put our trust in our options. And we also put our trust in where we believe our help will come from. And usually... We believe that our option and where our help will come from is self. And so we place trust in self. And guess what causes fear? Trust in self. Fear is an alarm telling us that 
that as much as we want to believe that we are the answer, we are lacking. Fear has been defined by using an acronym, maybe you've heard of it, false evidence appearing real. And maybe, maybe that's the one you thought of. But I came across another one I thought was interesting. Flee everything and run. So those are, those are ideas of fear. It has this uncanny ability to drag us off into an awful imaginary future where everything turns out terrible. That's what fear does. It drags us off into this imaginary future, this awful future. Everything turns out terrible. So Moses said to this massive group of people who were clearly afraid, do not be afraid, stand firm. Don't flee everything and run. Stand firm. Stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in knowing that God is fully aware of your situation. Stand firm knowing God has never forgotten you. Stand firm knowing God's plan is always best. Stand firm knowing God lacks nothing and he will supply everything that you need. So rather than allowing your mind to go off into this awful imaginary future, stay where your feet are. Stay in the present. As scary as it might appear, stand firm. Plant your feet in the present. Look to God as your only source of help. That's faith. Remember, the future is as hopeful as the faithfulness of the past. And without identifying and acknowledging God's faithfulness as you look back in your past, it's going to be tough to trust him for the future. So instead of allowing your mind to run to the awful imaginary future, let it run to the faithfulness of the past. I'm not sure what your cul-de-sac is in your life. I don't know who the Egyptian army is, so to speak, in your life, or what the Red Sea represents in your life. But I want to zoom out for just a minute and talk briefly about something that is pertinent to all of us. The church is the bride of Christ. And the closer that we get to the end times the more pressure that we as the bride of Christ will experience, believers, Christians. You ever seen the movie Runaway Bride? Most of us probably have. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where we are to live as the runaway bride. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and and we're supposed to live our lives as we encounter people, as we come across people, pointing to those three truths. Hey, Jesus is the way. Hey, Jesus is the truth. Hey, Jesus is the life. And we're pointing people there. We're called to be the light in the darkness. We're truth in a culture of lies. Purity in a cesspool of sin. Every day, the depravity of man is being revealed more and more. While I believe it is unlikely for the legislation that is currently a major point of debate will pass this time. If and when it does, it has the potential to impact religious institutions and the church in significant ways. While it may appear that the intent is good-natured, the impact could be devastating in the long run. And you say, well, what legislation are you talking about? I'm going to leave it generic and vague. 
This isn't a political statement. This is a morality statement I'm trying to make. But you can go and Google and say what legislation is happening right now. But it could have devastating effects. Okay, that statement, now let me move on. I don't want you to associate with what I'm going to say with that. Let's put on our morality glasses in determining where to direct our attention and where are we going to spend our, our energy. When our ethical standard, which is, our, which is the Bible, many of you carry a Bible in or you have it on your phone or your tablet, when our ethical standard, the code of ethics, the thing that we say that we live according to is threatened, our moral compass, if not already alert, ought to be awakened. When your moral compass is on alert, it's a good indicator that dusk is setting in or the potential of it. And while we might enjoy the beauty of a physical sunset, my wife loves sunsets, let's be careful to not rest during a moral sunset. There's no beauty in a moral sunset. It only brings darkness. Whether it's your own personal life or a bigger issue of fear, as the Egyptian army is closing in, let's stand in faith, looking to God as our only source of help. Again, that statement has to do with your life, not about what I was talking about with legislation. That has to do with you. As the Egyptian army is closing in, whatever that may be in your life, stand in faith, looking to God as our only source of hope. Faith is greater than fear. Secondly, watch with anticipation. Second part of verse 13. It says, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. Fear in this life keeps our mind occupied and our eyes fooled. And when those two things are happening, it's really hard to recognize the deliverance of God. And God wants to deliver his children but it has to be his way, and it has to be in his timing, so that the rescue mission, so to speak, it all points to him. In John 5, 17, Jesus says, my father is always at work. That's an interesting statement. What exactly does Jesus mean when he says that? My father is always at work. It's like a child might say here on earth, my dad's always working. But there's a lot of hope in this statement. We sing the truth to Jesus' words in a song that we sing, Waymaker. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I can't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Allow the truth of Jesus' words to teach us, to expand our understanding of God's involvement in our lives and in this church. He is always up to something in your life. Always up to something. He never stops being up to something. He never quits. He never gives up. He never stops. He's always at work. Right now, in this moment, he is drawing people to himself for salvation. Maybe in this room. Maybe people joining us online. But that's how salvation works. The Holy Spirit draws people. His work involves answering prayer, offering direction, guiding people in decisions, loving on people, showing compassion, grace, and mercy. His work involves getting people to the right place at the right time. 
so his will can be accomplished. He ministers to the brokenhearted, gives strength to the weary. He's always at work. He's always at work in the church. May we come together as one anticipating what God is going to do in and through us. Let's don't miss it. Let's don't miss it. Last week, I received a phone call. Lori and I received a phone call from Harv and Leanne Bloomquist. Some of you were like, oh, I know that name. And some of you are like, I have no idea who that is. And that doesn't really matter. Harv and Leanne Bloomquist called, and Leanne began to share with us that she has been diagnosed with cancer, and she has an operation, I think it's this week yet. And, and she shared with us, and she went through the whole story. And, and when it was time to pray, I said, Leanne, how, how can I pray for you specifically? And while I might expected to hear certain things, this is what she said. She said, would you pray that we don't miss it? That we don't miss the journey along the way. That we don't miss what God wants to do in this journey, on this journey, through us and in us. And her words were genuine. And as I listened, all I could think about was, I wonder what I would say. Would I say that same thing? Only when our faith is greater than our fear could we ever express those words. I don't want to miss it. God allows us to be in positions to have our faith be greater than our fear. And that's when he's glorified. The third thing is this. Be still and let God do the fighting. Verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. So picture this, they're in this cul-de-sac, so to speak. They're unarmed, and they're in no position to fight for themselves. And fear prompts us to fight. That's what it does. Fear screams, fight, fight, fight. And the faith invites us to let God do the fighting. Is this suggesting that we do nothing as believers? We just step back and we just hold up our hands and say, absolutely not. But what it is inviting us to look at is what battles are really ours to fight and what battles are his. The battle belongs to the Lord. We hear that scripture, Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not here. Our struggle is not against each other. Our struggle is not with other people. It's not here. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's where the battle is. But, but if we're going to fight, listen, what if our fight wasn't to win a battle that's already been won? Instead, what if the fight in us was to overcome sinful tendencies? What if the fight was for our character and integrity? What if the fight was to change our thinking patterns? What if we spent our time fighting for the gospel? What if we fought for our marriage? What if we fought for Joshua 24, 15 that says, as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. What if those are the things that we fight for? Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. In Jude, it says, earnestly contend for the faith and playing for us. Agonize for the faith. I think sometimes out of fear, we find ourselves fighting the wrong battles. In fact, James tells us, when you find yourself fighting, where, where do you think it's coming from? All the fighting sometimes comes from within, the stirring within. And a lot of that's generated by fear. Fear 
causes us. I want you all to hear this. Because I've experienced every one of these. I'm about one minute from being done. Listen. Fear causes us to fight to prove a point. To prove that we're right. To make others see it our way. When fear becomes a motivator for the fight in us, we find ourselves in all kinds of messy situations. Are you fighting a battle that has already been won? Have you stepped into the ring when you're not on the ticket to fight? What if the main event was to fight against fear? What if the main event was for us to fight against fear? Let me leave you with one thing, turning fear into faith. It's actually 2 Timothy 1.7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, which means easily frightened, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. That's what the spirit does. It doesn't make us timid. It gives us power, love, and self-discipline. It's a great verse to memorize if you're not familiar with it. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Um, Lord, if we're honest, uh, because we're fleshly, much of our life we live in fear because we turn to self. We trust in self. Father, um, right now there are people in this room that find themselves in the midst of a cul-de-sac. And and as they look, they see the Egyptians coming, they see the desert, they see the Red Sea, and they're like, I I don't know what to do. I have no idea. God, would you meet them in, in that place? And whatever rescuing them looks like for you, God, because whatever it is that you're most glorified, we ask for that. God, thank you that in any situation in this life, when fear is gripping us and our minds are dragging us off into this awful imaginary future, that we would just hold out our hands and we would turn to you. And we would say, Lord, give us faith. Give us faith. In Jesus' name, amen.